Hi, I'm Brian Strauss, co-founder of Demand Collective and host of the Collective Wisdom podcast. Collective Wisdom is a demand generation podcast brought to you by Demand Collective, a hyper-vetted community of demand gen and revenue marketers. Apply to join online at demandcollective.io. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of Collective Wisdom by Demand Collective. Today, I'm joined by Chrissy Saunders, CEO and co-founder of CS2 Marketing, a marketing ops agency that builds revenue growth architecture to power efficient and predictable revenue growth. Chrissy also serves as an advisor to Sincari Chili Piper and also is co-founder and board member to Women in Revenue. Her extensive experience in demand gen and marketing operations is demonstrated through 14 years of successful marketing roles. Thanks for joining us, Chrissy. How are you doing today? Good. Yeah. Um, it's sunny here in uh, San Jose, so it's been a bit rainy and drab, but it's nice uh, this morning, so I'm feeling good. Um, yeah, feeling healthy. <laughs> nice. Nice. All I can ask for in January. Yeah. Yeah. We just had the gnarliest storm down here in San Diego. Everything was flooded all over social media. The whole thing is just like rivers where streets used to be. Wow. That's yeah. so, I feel like that's not very, that's pretty uncommon for San Diego, right? Yeah. We're, we're normally like really nice year round. So whenever we get like something, it's like chaos, even a few springs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love San Diego. I've been there a few times in the past, and every time I'm like, I should live here. But. <laughs> <laughs> you should, you should. Um, so kind of digging into things a little bit, you began as a marketing coordinator at Adobe. Um, you made the jump to marketing operations and marketing yeah, ops. Yeah, and at the time, it was uh, Marketo, not Adobe yet. Um, so very early on Marketo. Oh, okay. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, so maybe you could tell me a little bit about, you know, marketing ops has changed significantly since then. That was 2010 when you joined, and I think Mark mm -hmm. you took on in 2012. Like, um, you know, what, what, how has the landscape changed? How has the role changed? And, and what was it like being in those early days of Marketo? Yeah. Um, it, things have definitely changed and evolved. I think um, back then, everything was quite new. You know, working at Marketo, I think that, um, it was nice because we were in an environment where we were, you know, it was a market automation, uh, you know, platform company. And so we were evangelizing why it was important to use marketing automation. Um, and everything was pretty like rigorous and like nailed down, buttoned up at Marketo at that time, I feel like, um, it was a very great place to start a career just because everyone was really like striving to do their best, like really top of their game. I've worked around a lot of great marketers like John Miller and Maria Pergolino. Um, and they just, you know, it's, it, it was a great kind of incubator for people who are in, were interested in marketing, but also um, just early on knew the importance of marketing operations. I mean, it was their target market. So it was, it was great because you, you know, you got the resources or people knew the importance of like what you were doing. I started there, like, kind of, like you said, as a general kind of marketer. Um, at first it was like an internship for a few months and then, there, you know, I guess I did a good enough job and they're like, you can <laughs> stay on full time. And yeah. Um, during that time, I was like really interested in Marketo and using it. Um, 
and there wasn't a lot of like training or anything. Like I think now it's um, more common to kind of, you know, find resources out there and things like that. But there wasn't at the time, especially in marketing ops too. Was, like we were almost evangelizing like what marketing was, ops was as a role. It, there were some, you know, people in IT that managed systems like that, like Eloqua. There were, um, you know, like a marketing kind of coordinator or email. They, they kind of called them email marketers at the time because that's really what you use those platforms to do is really just sending email. There wasn't a lot more you could do with it until um, kind of like the Eloquas and Marketos came out. And then they were introducing things, you know, like lead scoring and prioritization, um, you know, lead capture for forms. And it was very inbound centric though. So I would say... And then it turned more outbound, actually, when you wanted to move up market and you go into enterprise. But um, it was, be you know, it the landscape for MarTech was quite small. You know, you'd go to, the way that people bought tech back then was you'd go to a trade show and you would have maybe like the 10 or, you know, depending on Salesforce was huge. So that was where you saw maybe like, you know, uh, the hundreds of sponsors there and stuff like that because it was just a lot of different companies targeting martech and sales tech but when we look at martech specifically it was pretty small you know what you could do with it and so marketo was looked at as very advanced um which is which was cool to be kind of at the forefront of that and i um I very much saw like an opportunity of like, oh, hey, if I get good at using Marketo at Marketo, like that's such a really good experience. So um, I kind of like use some of our university videos, like on the weekends, I would, you know, lean into a few of my colleagues and kind of, you know, be like, oh, can I build out lists for your programs? Can I start working on some of the programs? Um, I also wrote a lot of content at the time, like we all wrote content. So some of the definitive guides, like we all contributed. To, <laughs> to, and I like that because I was an English minor in college and I can kind of flex some of my writing skills and stuff like that. But um, I, I, I just saw kind of an opportunity there and I had some great mentors and a boss at the time. Um, and yeah, so went just more into operations. So, uh, and because I was kind of unsure on what to do, I'm like, oh, I really like marketing. I like demand gen, but you know, I'm it looks like I'm kind of good at this like marketing ops thing. Um, and so I kind of doubled down and and went into that. But the I think the pace of technology since then and what you like, how many tools there are, and you know data sources and things like that. I think the expectations have just like advanced and what that means for marketing ops is just, and RevOps in general is like, there's these expectations that you can do it all. So why aren't you, you know, <laughs> where back then it was like, we need to do leads for it and find um, data. Let's just go out and purchase some data on accounts who are using our competitors. Let's then see how we can apply that to them or, hey, we want to do direct mail. Okay, well, I'll figure out between this add-on and doing some of these things in Marketo with pers personal use URLs and I'll just develop my own direct mail program. But it was expected that, you know, things weren't so automated and advanced. And in some ways, a lot of that complexity of all the different platforms that you can use and what you can do has set expectations really high for what marketing ops can do, but we're still dealing with a lot of the same problems like bad data, um, band-aids, like tech debt, just I think because there's this pressure to 
advance mm-hmm. everything. So I would say that that's a little bit of like how kind of I got started there, what it was like working there and um, but also how things have changed. And I think we're going through another kind of evolution of MarTech too, which is the advancement of AI and like, what does that mean for what marketers can do? But the problem, I think there's this false perception of like, oh, you can get advanced as advanced as like using artificial intelligence, but why are you still having like issues just trying to operationalize a funnel project? And, you know, they're not directly correlated. Like we still have (laughs) the crux of everything, data and infrastructure and things like that, that isn't just going to be built with a robot or AI or anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like, do you by chance, and I know I feel like marketing ops people have like always have like a favorite. Do you have a favorite, like a, Mar- a Marketo versus HubSpot versus Eloqua? Um, definitely not Eloqua. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, we've always been quite agnostic at the beginning. It was Marketo just because of my um, my background with it and too, having worked there. Yeah, and like I think that everyone kind of is like, oh, you can do so much with it, and you really can. Um, I I would say now between Marketo and HubSpot, I feel like they're both getting quite like on par with each other, mm-hmm. um, especially in the last year with HubSpot. We actually did a podcast about like um, HubSpot recently and how they've made some huge um, like massive changes that can make them, you know you know, on par with Marketo or maybe even, you know, more advanced. So, um, yeah, I, I think I don't really have like a favorite, but I would say those are like the top two, because I think that HubSpot is just a, like, because they're, you know, their own company, they haven't been bought or anything like that. Like they will, you know, continue to advance and they've done a lot of the, um, build versus buy type um, expansion and the rate of which they deliver um, like new features and things like that is like kind of incredible in my opinion. So um, we'll see, but they're on par kind of, I feel like maybe to surpass Marketo, Marketo does like they'll try and get more advancements out, but it still feels like we're kind of like living in the past sometimes, but there's a lot of great enterprise level features that Marketo has too around like programs and scaling those and um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes, <laughs> but both, both, I don't have a favorite, both great. Um, but you know, some of the other players, like, um, maybe less, we use them a little bit less, um, for specific reasons. <laughs> you know, what this reminds me of, you ever watch, uh, Arrested Development? No. She's, she's like, I love all my children equally. And then it cuts to her earlier in the day. And she's like, I don't care for him. And it's like, <laughs> I'm spotting my We love them. Everyone else will like. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't um, like saying it though. I will say because yeah. sometimes we, but um, a majority of our clients use those too. So, where, I can, I can say. yeah. So, so where along this journey, you know, you did like a stint in I think Agari, uh, doing demand gen there. Mm-hmm. Um, where along this journey did you decide it was time to take on something like founding your own? agency right cs2 marketing is everywhere i see it in marketing ops like it's you guys are constantly having conversations around things like the role of marketing ops in today's marketing organizations being beyond just an order taker or a tactician a reactive mm-hmm. tactician and really playing a strategic role in an org where did you decide along that that it was time to start that 
Yeah, that's a um, good question. Um, so to your, to your point too, like how things have evolved maybe is kind of how I could talk about the evolution of CST as well. Um, and actually our domain is CST marketing. We're thinking of changing it because we dropped the marketing. We're just CST now. Um, nice. but, uh, the, but everyone, if they call us that, that's totally fine. But, um, the, so I think, so on my background and you noted that I like went into a demand generation role. I had a global role prior to that at a company um, called Jive and I, you know, set up all of their um, operations there um, and ran a team and supported a team of global marketers. Um, that's where I met my husband, Charlie. Um, he was working there at the time and um, he was in EMEA and we kind of had like a long distance relationship and marriage. And then um, during that time, I, I moved to a new company because I thought it'd be weird to work with my husband um, just <laughs> since we met there and stuff. And I was, I was looking for a change. I think at the time, I was pretty strategic in my role, but I was still on this like um, grappling, like, do I want to go the CMO route or like, do I want to stay more in operations? And and we still struggle with it today around like, if, does operations have like a ceiling or anything like that? But um, I saw, I still felt like at the time operations didn't get the respect that like those other departments got. And yeah. um, I like was really interested in the marketing um, side. I knew how to do it anyway. I knew what the best programs were running anyway, because I, I always provided all the data and analytics and so forth. So I took on more of a demand gen role, but I was doing operations. I was doing demand gen. I was like running the SDR team. I then was like almost like pseudo kind of rev ops because we needed sales operations. I was doing a lot. Um, and I kind of got like a bit burnt out. But the one thing that I really realized was like, I like just providing um, value to um to clients and problem solving and i didn't really particularly like some like office politics and things like that and um i wanted to kind of you know maybe try something new i was looking for something with a bit more um flexibility i feel like if anyone's heard me on a podcast i've talked about it before but um I was just going through something personally at the time with my dad and he was sick and um, I kind of wanted to have more flexibility to like work from home, um, which now is like what everyone does mostly, but um, I was always having to commute like an hour um, and back like each day to some of my jobs. So I, yeah. Um, and then Charlie was moving out from um, England and we thought, okay, this could be a good time. Maybe we you know, start something together. I was going to maybe start it first just because he hadn't moved out yet. Um, we had previously uh, had like a kind of small business together. Um, that was a Kickstarter that didn't, um, we decided to put on pause. Um, and so we kind of had that itch for like entrepreneurship really. Um, and so then I, and I've worked with agencies in the past, like every time I was overloaded, I was then, you know, from the, my boss being like, well, why don't you just work with an agency? And then we'd bring them on to maybe take on a few projects that I just really needed done. And I just felt like it wasn't really great. I was having to fix all of the work. I feel like they didn't really dive into the real needs of like what 
our company needed. It was more like, hey, we deliver this to every company. Here you go. And I didn't like that experience. And I'm like, wow, I could, I could do better than this. Like, I, I mean, like, I, I feel like there's a need that is, and they were charging a ton of money for it at the time too. And so I think um, that was like kind of the crux of like, okay, maybe we should go on our own and do something, but we still had it be more marketing centric. So we, I reached out to people in my network and we had like five clients from the start and we took the approach of like marketing ops, but also a bit of demand gen, like doing email marketing and, you know, SDR sequences and, and things like that. Um, and, uh, because of that, um, that's why our name was PSD marketing, but then over time we realized, okay, where we can really provide like true value is, um, through the operations. Um, and over time that expanded into more of like, um, like I would say RevOps and what it is today. And that's kind of what we still do. We expand, we do marketing operations, but what we, why we call it revenue growth architecture is we feel like it's a lot more than just what people call typical marketing operations. So yeah, that was the kind of crux for it and how it evolved. And I was really lucky to have some great clients at the start. Um, and some ended up being clients for like nine years. Some in an evolution of one of our client has been one of our clients for the whole time that we started at CS2. They're our first client and they're still a client today. And we're um, celebrating um, 10 years next next year, I think. Yeah. Or this That's year. <laughs> yeah. Complex. Like I'd be telling everyone, I'd be like, RLTV is crazy. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's really lucky in that way. And um, they've even been acquired and we still get taken on. But um, yeah, and I have we have some clients that I started working with in you know early 2016, and they're still valuable clients of ours. So uh, we have more of like an embedded type of service and there's always things to be done, always things to evolve. And um, I will say though, as we've expanded and grown, we've taken a more purposeful instead of like, Hey, let's just execute on what you need done to, Hey, you come on board. We're going to show you and put you through like what found a great operational foundation is and guide you through that. And also um, our key main focus as to everything we do is around improving the customer journey, um, creating operational efficiencies or providing data and insights. We do a lot of stuff in between there, but I would say a majority of all the projects that we do can in some way or somehow be, you know, filtered into those three value props. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that brings an excellent point where, you know, I think, how do you come to these companies when you start these relationships? So many agencies are sort of like you mentioned, we're just going to do what you're asking. We're just going to do, you know, look mm-hmm. at things that have already been done, right? How do you bring proactive suggestions about that strong operational base, but also be proactive about opportunities for expansion and opportunities mm-hmm. for more in-depth reporting or revenue structures? Yeah. Um, so one of the re- so um, we have a blog post on it, like what revenue growth architecture is, but um, a lot of what we saw was with our clients that we typically ran a lot of the same projects. Yeah. In between the big rock projects, we help them operationalize a funnel, which also meant like their handoff and who should you know become sales ready, the lead scoring or prioritization that supports that, 
um, routing and, and things like that, um, their order of operations, how they're running campaigns, and then also their like simple attribution, like lead sourcing and things like that. Um, and then we'll do normally work on like operationalizing ABM. And then we have a small campaign operations arm and we'll usually set up campaign operations process or we can do some execution on it. And then we focus on like data um, and the enrichment side, you know, segmentation, audience segmentation, um, the, all of the kind of integrations of your tools and tech stack and sales engagement platforms and so forth. So that's kind of like our main things. Um, and then the analytics side, like you said, um, and insights. And so that we kind of map that all out. We're like, okay, what are all of this, you know, the main things like, okay, we went through like years and years of doing projects and we like documented that. And yeah. then we went through also just all of our inbound messages from, um, from clients um, that we brought on board or even from our contact sales. It's like, um, and we saw consistent themes. We need help with our funnel. We need better insights. We are trying to do ABM. We don't, you know, where to start. Like, how do we operationalize that? Um, we need, you know, uh, we need to scale out our programs. And so that fed it into it too. So it supported that. So now, um, we have typically like an assessment that we can run with a client who comes on board and, um, for our funnel architecture, which is where we would have people start, which kind of goes into a lot of those things I talked about. Um, and that gives us an idea of like what needs to be done and also has like our point of view and we compare to like what is the best of standard for that and then we'll like usually start executing on that and the benefit too is we've built a lot of things around that so we have a um we mainly work with salesforce customers but we have a we have a custom object tracking method for lifecycle um, yeah. that we've developed and we've rolled that out in the last year and that's been great so it's almost like a pinnacle of that where they also benefit from having this like great reporting and the best way to track a funnel and it's all funnels it's not just starting from mql but you know outbound funnels partner funnels um, we call it kind of almost all bound and mm -hmm. it's so useful and cohorted and you don't have to join leading contacts together and anything like that so and then yeah. we do source attribution tied to it for the tipping point. So it's been an unlock for a lot of clients because that's like a lot of what they're looking for. And at the same time, it develops a great sales process for them, which is also where we just see companies are really flawed. They think they have a process. They think they have stage definitions nailed, nailed down. Yeah. They're like, oh, we do have a, an MQL or sales ready person. Okay, what does that mean? Or, or you know, an opportunity. When does that get created? Oh, it's just when the salesperson, like, you know, decides that that need is to be converted. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so we'll we'll run to um, clients now usually through that. And if they're it, um, well, if they're a client who needs other things done, we still will do now kind of like a scorecard where we assess like areas of opportunity um, across revenue growth architectures so they can see kind of our diagram that we have and we'll, we'll mark off like okay you know you need help here here and here so um, always thinking about that and we'll help kind of roadmap with the client on um, based on their goals from their yeah. company what they should prioritize and also based on their resources and stuff but usually always starts with funnel architecture yeah 
So how do you go about when, you know, right now, for example, you know, you mentioned like MQLs, right? And that's mm-hmm. like a big thing. The MQL is dead. This is mm-hmm. dead. XYZ is dead. How do you go about contextualizing that as more of a reporting structure with standardized quali- qualifiers for each of those stages, as opposed to saying, you know, when you have the philosophical debate? that people have on the other end of it saying, oh, these things don't exist or they don't work anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And when, from that side of things, it's more of a functional thing. How do you, how do you have those conversations? Yeah. I think that the, the way we structure it is kind of like for the client is, Hey, the M, you know, a concept of an MQL, we agreed, like probably don't call it an MQL. That's very one like short-sighted. We actually call it um, what we try and get clients to call it is we call that stage sales ready. Mm. And the reason why we do that is because there can be times where someone is sales ready, um, but marketing didn't qualify it. Like a salesperson has just said, Hey, I want to start working this lead. They're a great lead. Okay. That's sales ready in our opinion. So we're going to start a funnel then. And that's an outbound funnel mm-hmm. or a partner has said, Hey, this person's sales ready. Okay. Now let's create a funnel for that. And so I think for, for us, it's like, what is dead is like, you should just report on MQLs and just report on volume and just be gold on a volume for MQLs. And you're also, you're missing out when you're just using MQLs or what you say is ready for sales from a um, marketing standpoint. And that's where you lose a big picture of like what's happening and your funnel data can be fragmented. Um, And so we'll kind of educate the client on on that. Um, And also we have firm ideas. A lot of people are like, oh, we don't need a person funnel. Like we can just work accounts. It's like, well, how do you know who to work at that account? And also, what do you do with all the people that come through that aren't part of your target accounts or is tied to account? Like, how are you going to work them? Yeah. So we've actually worked with like some like big main clients who they didn't even have a, a person funnel um, and they missed out on a bunch of deals. And finally, it took like one deal or someone coming through and their CEO finding out, you know, and they look to us um, and bring us on as a client to kind of fix some things like that. So... Um, yeah, I, I think it's taking a commanding approach with our clients of like, hey, this is actually what we think is a good way to track things. Also, not having acronyms around your stages is something we suggest. But we typically find a middle ground. Hey, if your company's always been used to calling it this, okay, maybe we have the status be MQL, but then we'll for a tracking purpose, we'll call that stage like sales ready or okay, you're really tied to calling that SQL. That's fine. We usually call it meeting booked, but you can call it SQLs. But as long as we know that means like meeting booked, then it's fine. So, but we try and be as commanding as possible to say like, yeah. "Hey, this is what you should you should do." And and a lot of clients are receptive to that. If anything, they want that. I think a lot of the time early in consulting, we were almost like too accommodating to clients, and sometimes we would make concessions on like what we think should be done, and it always come back to oh, well, now we want that. Or now we're having this issue. And it's like, yeah, we kind of like said that that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think now having the confidence to be commanding and say like, this is the way you should do it. And our assessment even has a lot of that. A big part of our assessment is just our point of view on things of like why they should do it a certain way. And you'll yeah. see that in our content, right? Like that's why we have opinions on 
a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but it's been a lot of seeing what works and what what doesn't across clients for years and years, and always thinking through, okay, what what matches the expectations of um, the buyers today? What matches the buyer experience today? What matches the company planning today? And that evolves, and that means we sh- we change our ways of doing things, but we're always trying to keep things a bit more like forward thinking. Mm-hmm. When you go to these orgs and you're kind of saying, you know, commanding, as you put it, which I love, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the shortcomings for a lot of agencies is they don't, they aren't commanding, right? And they are overly accommodating and they're not really mm. being the the expert in the room. They're being the order taker, right? So when you come and you end up working with either a marketing leader or a demand gen person, one, how do you, you know, there's no easy way to tell people that something they're doing is bad right yeah how do you it's like telling someone their baby's ugly right how do you tell them <laughs> in a delicate way but also that reaffirms the value you're bringing to the team yeah i think we always start out a little bit of like surfacing and this comes through in our point of view as well as we always start with like pain points like mm-hmm. okay how are you feeling these pains are is your team spending hours and spreadsheets trying to put like you know reporting together and you're still not feeling confident in it do you have even like a cohort of you of like your funnel are is your time to lead you know like hours versus minutes are you getting are you is your team bogged down in errors and chasing um, things happening in your systems but not able to actually like do strategic projects um all those things. And a lot of the time they can't fight with like, oh, we have these pain points. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very clear. And so then we can then take those pain points and say, well, these are the programs that, or these are the projects that will get rid of that. Um, the case in point is always like the funnel data. Cause that's where a lot of, like I said, the funnel architecture and the data around that, what get prioritized for sales how they're actually working their leads it's all very like simple things and foundational but there's always a lot of pain points to it because it hasn't really been fully thought through or it hasn't been invested the time into making it great so when you lead with some like uncovering some of the pain points i think that's where you get people like locked in and interested and you're like yeah i want to solve for that um and then also tying it back to the business impact. So we really tried to understand like the goals of the business. Um, it's always like, you know, they're simple goals, revenue. Okay, yeah, of course. Um, uh, but then there's also things like what we talked about, like operational efficiency, like is your team just like wasting time? Are you not getting programs out the door fast enough? Are you unable to even understand what's working in your marketing to actually do more of that good marketing. Um, so there's there's a lot of like efficiencies, lack of insight to data, and then also like what's your customer journey like? And sometimes we'll even just like audit that per client. Like we'll just in our assessment we'll do test leads. Okay, what happened to us? Like right. we did a contact sales or you know what what happened? No one reached and, out to us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no one reached out to us. Um, and I think showing that and uncover like I think 
trying to get people aligned on the call will usually surface where there's issues, but we also approach it with a lot of empathy. We're like, Hey, a lot of this is hard or, Hey, you've been, you haven't had the resources to date, to do all this stuff. I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that I really like, I maybe did it early on when I went in consulting, but I have, we, I always tell the team not to do this is like, really try not to go into an org and be like, oh my gosh, it's so bad. Like, who did this? Like, what happened here, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And do not point fingers or anything like that. Because as we know, like, people can come in at any point, change things, make things a mess. But also, these companies, and we work mainly with startups and scale-ups, but they have immense pressure around like getting things done. And a lot of times they just don't have the resources to do it. And so there's people that are, yeah. And, and, you know, people like you probably in demand gen and um, we work with a lot of demand gen people, like they sometimes are, are the marketing ops person, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're trying to balance like, okay, how can I put in some infrastructure while also just, you know, getting, getting programs out the door, like trying to develop a strategy for programs, running webinars, doing events and things like that. It's just impossible. So, so yeah, we try and lead with empathy for the client too, to say like, Hey, we know there's probably a lot broken here and you probably have great people on your team who've been trying to like fix this, but we're just the extra pair of hands to really guide you and give you the map of how you should do it. And also to help you execute. Cause there's so much to be done. There's so many competing priorities internally. There's a lot of enablement to be done. So let's just help you get there. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, the demand marketers who often have to serve as their own marketing ops person, right? Because a lot of orgs still, I think, don't always value the investment that's needed for a healthy um, marketing ops and rev ops org. Where, when you work with demand gen folks, right? How often do you run into overlap of responsibilities? And what are your thoughts in terms of should a demand gen person be able to launch their own email campaigns, launch their own life cycles of programs? Like where, where do you see that line? Yeah, we see it a lot, especially early stage, like startups, Hmm. which I think is okay. Yeah. Um, But I don't think that you can have that be going on for so long or if anything, you need to get an agency to kind of help them like CS2 or someone else. Um, because there's it's just too hard like and i'm really all you're going to get done is campaign execution in some ways or then making sure those leads then get to an sdr a salesperson there's not really much that's going to get done beyond that in my opinion Mm -hmm. maybe they'll be like administering outreach or something or sales loft and doing sequences but beyond that you're not going to they're not going to have the time to do anything else so um, and if they are, they're working really long hours, like I maybe I've done in the past. So anyway, but, um, the, I think for us, like we'll actually champ, like still work with those folks. It is a lot better when they have someone dedicated to operations and rev ops, you can just get more done. Yeah. Um, and but I do think that a, like a hybrid model is really great. So as far as like running your own programs and emails and things like that, I think it's great for advantage folks to, to do that. 
um, and then set up structure for them to do that. So like program templates and things like that. And then Q, final QA to be done by a marketing ops team. I also just suggest like campaign operations just be separate from the rest of like RevOps and mar like marketing ops. Whoever's in charge of RevOps or marketing ops, yeah. just not have a big part of their role be um, campaign execution because they're also not going to get anything else done. There's just too much to be done there. It's a um, lot. Yeah, and it's just very reactive. And, and so you probably... You can do it maybe at a very, very startup level, but if you want to go anything beyond that, it's not advisable. So um, even at CS2, our client leads and a big, like the rest of our projects and stuff like that is always separate from campaign operations and execution. Um, a team is just focused on doing that because it's, it just operates in just a different fashion. It's very timely. Um there's a lot of collaboration back and forth. And if you're doing that all, all the time, you're not going to have time to say, like, get stakeholders together to workshop your life cycle stages. You know, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, that I think is an important distinction that a lot of companies don't make is RevOps, marketing ops side of the house versus campaign ops. Mm -hmm. is I think it takes away from the ability for folks to really narrow down and focus in on the things that really like they should mm -hmm. be. Focused on. I think I yeah. had a CEO who had a saying who it was all about, you know, always be helpful to your team, helpful to others, be willing to jump in, but don't forget the job you're paid to do. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's yeah. Very true. And I think that in some ways it's like, you got to be a little bit all hands on deck in a way at like a startup. Yeah. And so I think then you can't operate in that fashion, but if you have a lot of demand gen marketers, or if you're running a ton of programs, if your budget is like millions of dollars for marketing, like you need to have the equivalent and resources to help get that done. Yeah. Um, and it's just a different, it's just a different way of like um, thinking and operating. I do think though that campaign operations is a great, being close to that or having done that as part of your career is is just good to do because then you know what's possible. You know how things should be set up. Um, pushing yourself also to maybe run like ABM programs or figure out the infrastructure for that is great because I think a big thing for me and where I see the role of um, the VPs of operations moving more to a VP of RevOps is you're gonna, you wanna flex both sides. You want to first understand like what's great marketing, how do you report on that, how do our campaigns set up, um, understanding the attribution side and, um, you know, funnel attribution and things like that. But then also understanding like for the business, um, what that means as far as like SDR process, how sales work, um, opportunities, um, and more efficiencies there. I think you need that like gamut of like the whole thing, literally from like lead in your system and all the way through to like customer and beyond that. And yeah. the, the operational person who can kind of understand the intricacies and you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be building flows in Salesforce or anything like that, but knowing what's possible and also having some of those technical skills and then 
building that with a blend of like business savviness and what needs to be done from the business and what is good marketing and what is the like buyer experience today and how's it evolving. That's going to be what's like a VP of RevOps and then maybe even turn into a CMO one day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that. I love that. That's great advice. Um, great insight there. Um, I think that's a great place for us to wrap things up. Um, thank you again for taking the time to talk uh, with me today. Yeah, I went so <laughs> Yeah, all right. Um, any final things you want to share? Any final thoughts or anything you want to plug? Yeah, so I think for if for those who are listening and like podcasts, we have a podcast by CS2 called the Revenue Growth Architects Podcast. Um, it used to be called Forward Thinking, but we changed the name last year. Um, you can check that out on our website, cs2marketing.com. Um, and uh, we have a lot of great content there too. Or you can follow myself, just Chrissy Saunders. Um, um, also my co-founder, Charlie Saunders. And a lot of the team members at CS2 in general um, post a lot on LinkedIn. But yeah, connect with us there. Um, and we're always taking kind of questions and topics for our podcast that you can email rga at cstmarketing.com for, um, yeah, if you want to hear us tackle something, but yeah, I love being, I love finally meeting, uh, you, Brian, cause I know you've been following us for a long time and we'll comment back and forth on LinkedIn. So it's so nice to finally like talk with you, which is exciting. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of Collective Wisdom. And thank you, Chrissy, for being our guest today. Really look forward to seeing the great work you and Charlie continue to do with CS2. Uh, for those listening, if you're a demand marketer looking for a tight-knit community of demand gen experts, be sure to apply to our community, Demand Collective, at demandcollective.io.